Hey, everyone. Before we get into today's interview, just wanted to drop a little reminder to stay up to date with all the latest episodes of On The Margin. You can subscribe to the BlockWorks Background YouTube. Just go up there, just click the little uh, subscribe button, or you can click the links at the top of this episode. It'll take you over to Apple, Spotify, whatever your preferred platform is. Just subscribe there. If you could, leave a rating and review. Really appreciate it. All right, on with the show. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of On The Margin. Today, I am joined by one of the great beards, Andy Constan. Uh, Andy, thanks for coming back on the show. Sure, Mike. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, I um, I appreciate you, you making so much time for us over here and on the margin land recently, but you've just been so right about the dynamics in the treasury market that could not get you on and, and ask you about it. Um, we and When you and I and Nick talked uh, just a couple of weeks ago, you were talking about uh, the QRA and the impact that supply was having on especially the longer end of the curve. Um, you know, we got our QRA this this uh, this week. Everything came in a little bit lighter and uh, you turned very publicly, very bullish on risk assets and historically you've been very right. Just from a high level, can you give us a summary of um, what you saw in the QRA? On Monday night, um, the um, financing estimate came out and that's the first phase of the QRA. And in that, it said that financing was going to be reduced versus what had been announced for Q4 uh, by about $78 billion, I believe. Um, and so, you know, that was interesting. Um, but the, uh, the uh, Q1 was above my estimate at $816 billion of new financing. And new financing is used to uh, pay back the Fed for its uh, QT, which is about 180 billion, and then fund any increase in the Treasury General account, um, which they chose not to do. They kept it at 750 billion, um, and the rest is to fund the federal deficits, the spending that happens. Um, and so that number came in pretty high, um, not crazy high because, you know, we are running what is estimated as a $1.6 trillion um, deficit for 2024. Um, but, you know, at some level, it's um, a there's a seasonality to budget deficits that, you know, is hard to estimate, um, meaning that in Q2, you generally have um a uh, lot of tax revenues, so you don't need to do a lot of financing. So anyway, the number came in hot. And, you know, then now the question that we needed to address was on um, um, Wednesday morning, they were going to announce the composition. And the composition I expected and turned out to be right, but that was pretty meaningless, um, that the um, this Q quarter, the Q3, Q4, they were going to keep the, bu the bond financing fixed at $338 billion um, and deal with the fact that the deficit came in lower than expected by reducing bills. Um, but what I saw that caused me to immediately flip bullish all assets was the relatively low amount of coupons. They only increased coupons for Q1 by $10 billion. Mm. And that was uh, well below my expectation um, and markedly below the uh, street's expectation. But I was even more, uh, I thought they'd really actually put more coupons out there. So it was, you know, 
So that's why I what I saw. And so now the implication is the important part. And so you have to think about bond issuance um, that was announced a quarter ago, in which uh, I at the time said there were going to be a significant increase in coupons, and that was going to have a devastating impact on markets, which was a better call. Well, who knows which is better call? It was a very good call because um, they did increase substantially by 160 billion bonds from 178 in Q3 to 100 to 338 in Q4, and bond markets sold off 100 basis points, and equities sold off. Um, 10%. Russell sold off of 17%. So huge, huge moves on the back of this sizable issuance. Um, and the mechanism is that uh, when the private sector needs to take on new um, supply, they have to make room for it and or somebody else has to lever to make room for the stuff that the people that are buying the treasuries are selling. Um, and that causes pressure on term premiums, which were very negative going into that number. So the market was on in an extremely vulnerable place last this on seven thirty one, and it corrected based on the supply. Um, so my my view was that that what's important is is both the level of issuance, but also the rate of change of that issuance. And so, for instance, if they had um, uh, they increased by 160 billion. If Q1 was actually back down to 178 billion, I think we would have retraced the entire move that we made in uh, the bond and stock market in Q uh, in in the last three months. Um, and so that's the rate of change, and then a, a complete retracement. We didn't get that. All we got is a rate of change was high, and they kept they lowered the rate of change, meaning they only increased by 10 billion bonds. And yet they kept the level fairly high. And so you're getting a retracement that has gone extremely quickly. Um, since I said buy all assets, um, TLT's up, uh, I don't know, six or seven percent. Um, well, yields are down 50 basis points on the 10 year. And equities are up, you know, four or five percent. Um, and that's in three days. So we've retraced half of the move from this shock that we got in August already in three days since that announcement. Mm. All right. So one thing I was going to ask you, because you and Nick brought this up the last time that we chatted, was the significance of the composition of the Treasury's financing being this historic ratio that they've stuck to 15 to 20 percent bills uh, and the rest being bonds. One of the one of the things that caught my eye just because you flagged it uh, so recently to me was that this was a little bit of the challenge from the perspective of Janet Yellen that a she didn't want to flood the market with supply at a point when the market was already concerned about the supply. But the other option that she had was to deviate from the fifteen to twenty percent historical uh, sort of ratio of bills to bonds, and it looks like that's the decision that they've chosen to to do. So, can you walk through the the implications of that, if if any? Firstly, you know you can take this sign as Janet. Um, having being fearful of impacting the bond market too much and thus not issuing coupons and funding with bills. And I think that's a fairly cynical way to take it um, because she's still issuing 350 billion of bonds, which is a shitload. 
So it's not like there's a, you know, she, she's, she didn't reduce bonds. She increased by 10. She just didn't increase very quickly. And so that has an implication on, um, and so that, so there's a question of fear. And I think that's not there yet. Maybe one day, maybe if these auctions at three at the current level go very badly and yields rise again, but the market's saying, no, we'll, we'll handle your 350 billion bonds fine. Uh, by rallying 50 basis points on the news. So mm. I think I, I think the fear argument doesn't make a lot of sense, but it does concern me that she's using uh, 57% bills this quarter um, because it will raise our um, uh, total bills outstanding by the end of Q1 to a number a little north of 21%. I had the math in front of me a few minutes ago. Um, and that's not the good the trend you want to go. Um, and the reason why you don't want bills is when a when a country or or a, uh, a when a country or a company or anybody else is funded with overnight money or short-term money, um, they are exposed to investors saying forget it. Mm. And, and charging egregious rates to get the refinancing done. So you don't want to issue bills. It just doesn't make sense. Also, the term premium on long-term treasuries had been still was is much lower now, probably negative actually again. And so the term premium was still a pretty good deal for Janet to issue into. Um, and so I thought she was going to issue more coupons. Um, I've done some math and I'm going to be putting out a new damp spring report to my clients in the next, uh, over the weekend. It, it appears that um, there's a path to, um, even at extremely high deficits, um, there's a path that I think the Treasury can take that will increase um, bonds once again, probably only one more time. Um, in 2024, and then sustain at that level again. So what we had was no bonds, well, 178 billion of bonds, then 338 billion of bonds, then a little bit more. Um, and there's going to be one more step function. And, you know, I'm going to be paying a lot of attention to that because we'll want to know how the bond market reacts to that next step. But once they do that next step and Time elapses and QT drains reserves to a point where they can stop QT, which is probably two, two and a half years off. Um, at that point, bills and bonds will um, fairly rapidly go back below target if you simulate it. And that's what I've done. Uh, so, you know, I think there's so I think there's a lot of logic to what she did. I hadn't figured it out. And I was wrong going in. But as soon as I saw it, it was clear what the market's reaction was going to be. And now as I'm reviewing the decision and thinking through how I would do it if I were in her shoes, without being any, without trying to juice the market, though the market's juicing, um, without trying to juice the market, that won't sustain itself. But without having, without doing that, I think there's a path that makes logical sense for her to follow. And as she follows that path, there's going to be times when bonds are going to do poorly and times when bonds are going to do well. And, you know, equities will depend on how um, the, uh, the economic uh, growth projections come through. Yeah. But, so I, I'm, 
I like that you're outlining this path here in a certain amount of logic. So I actually covered it a couple of times in the program this week, but there was a, a speech or a, a conversation between Paul Tudor Jones and Stan Druckenmiller that got quite a bit of attention this week where Stan Druckenmiller mentioned that, you know, Janet Yellen's decision to not essentially term out the U.S. debt uh, was akin to the largest mistake that a Treasury Secretary has made going back to Alexander Hamilton. So I'd love to just get your thoughts on that. It sounds like what I'm hearing you say is actually there's a decent bit of logic to her decision. So you can just for listeners spell out what exactly was the logical path that you saw her taking that wasn't immediately clear to you. And then do you agree, disagree with the comments from uh, Stan Druckenmiller? Right. So Stan Druckenmiller's stuff, he's a brilliant investor and that was stupid shit. Um, when he said that, what he wasn't referring to, to this this most recent set of QRAs. He was referring to when uh, interest rates were less than 1%. That that is the time when in, he, they should have termed out. Right. And that's just dumb. That's a dumb thing to say. Um, and it's very simple why. We were doing quantitative easing during that period of time, trying to desperately ease financial conditions by removing duration from the treasury market. That's what the Fed was trying to do. Hmm. If Janet had been then dumping duration onto this same market, we would have tightened financial conditions throughout the 20 from 2010 through COVID. And in fact, failed to, essentially completely offsetting the easing of quantitative of of quantitative easing. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's nice to say that. Yeah, of course she should have. Of course we should have had our debt all refinanced at 1%. But there's a consequence to actually doing that that was completely and totally against what the policymakers were doing at the time. That's really helpful context without commenting directly on on Stan. I, I, I do always have a knee-jerk reaction whenever someone just points to someone in power and just calls them stupid. I always look for alternative explanations because it's it's often it's not visible what the constraints are on their actions. So I that's a that explanation makes a ton of logical sense to me. Um I don't know what his, I don't know what his motivation was. It seemed like a like I honestly have no idea why he said that thing, but why he what he said didn't make sense at all from a policy standpoint or anything like that. He's obviously a genius investor. Yeah, he absolutely. So I think just really good alternative perspective. I think he's very worried about the the fiscal situation in the U.S. So maybe that was his. He was thinking that we should have been. Who couldn't be. Yeah. yeah show me. Which- Show me which party is doing anything about it, and I'll vote for them. But both parties are doing the same thing about that. No matter who's in charge, the deficit grows. I know there's a great there's a great graph of it. Maybe we can find it for this episode. But it's you know, uh, the the U.S. debt over a period of time, and they've shaded blue versus red for GOP versus Democratic administrations, and you can see actually it's it goes up basically the same. I mean, it's yeah, because the the. Voters want to not experience pain today, and the best thing that the government can do to expand the pie is print money and and deficit fund. Unfortunately, you know, unfortunately, our politicians spend time figuring out who how to split the pie up, 
and not how to grow it in a sustainable way. All right, everyone, we will be back to the program in just a moment. But before we do, I wanted to give you the inside scoop about something that we've been cooking up at BlockWorks these last couple of months. So in March of this coming year, in London, BlockWorks is going to be gathering 1,200 of the world's largest asset managers, that's fund managers and allocators, financial institutions, think big banks, payment providers, et cetera, and professional traders at the largest institutionally focused conference in digital assets, DAS London. Now, it's very rare that you get the likes of JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Point72, the large HFTs, the family offices all in one room at the same time. So if you want to know what the big money is doing in digital assets these days, this is the conference for you. To give you an early sneak peek at some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about, one, the intersection of macro and digital assets. And where are we in the market cycle? We're going to be talking about real world assets, so that's stable coins, on-chain treasuries, all of that fun stuff. And we're going to be talking about things from the allocator perspective. So what are the big money managers in crypto doing these days? And because you are such a good listener of On The Margin, I'm giving you an extra code MARGIN20. So click the link at the bottom of this episode. Again, use code MARGIN20, and I will see you in sunny London town in March. Your dive into a little bit what the implications of this are, but could you just, uh, to maybe bookend the discussion of some of the technical and the weed stuff this last quarterly refunding announcement, that path that you described that uh, Janet Yellen saw, what what is the path, I guess, for treasury slash the picture for bonds and issuance going forward? And then I want to, um, you know, I know I saw you talk about how this relates to this, this framework about higher for longer, uh, recession, compression of yield uh, premia, sort of, um, uh, flywheel that you saw playing out. So I want to get your thoughts on the implications of that, but walk us through the, maybe just bookend and walk us through the path here. Yeah. So I think the first thing is that we have a deficit. It's going to probably stay large uh, because as I said, I think that we're quibbling about a couple hundred billion of taxes versus um, spending priorities when you have a $1.6 trillion, you know, thing that they're not arguing about. Um, and so I think the deficit stays high, which means our financing needs stays high. Uh, add on one hundred seven hundred and twenty billion of of um, of um, quantitative tightening, paying back the Fed, and you're in a position where there's going to be a lot of bonds issued. You know, three fifty is is the is the low going forward, not the high. Um, and so you'd have to. I'm not going to share exactly my work on it, but you're going to have to sort of think about how. You know, what the high level of debt is, what happens once quantitative tightening eases, and then, you can, then you'll pretty easily find a path to, um, you know, a sustainable level of debt uh, issued with bills. Um, but, you know, I think there's going to be another step function, and Treasury mentioned that in their documents, there's going to be another step function of issuance. Um, and the question is when? Is it Q2? Is it Q3? There's good reason why it's one or the other, um, but, you know, we'll see. And I'll have my predictions at the time come, you know, late January. Um, Then the question is, you know, how does our deficit evolve with a changing? Well, let's step back for a second. I think the higher level thing to focus on is financial conditions in the last three days have massively, massively eased for... Since Lori Logan spoke a few weeks ago um, and then was reiterated by every governor, including Powell, at the press conference, um, they are depending 
on the rise in long-term interest rates to allow them to be more conservative on short-term interest rates. Well, that's gone. Janet took that ball away from the Fed for now, for however long she decides to keep the amount of debt issued, the coupon issuance constant. And so right now, you have to assume that either the Fed is going to hike to tighten financial conditions again. And by the way, I don't. I was not surprised at all that they didn't do it in November because bonds were still yielding 5%. Now they're at four and a half, three days later. Mm. Maybe they'd change their mind. So December to me is very much back on the table. And I think um, this higher for longer in, environment, as long as Janet doesn't cause long-term bond yields to rise, that lever will not be working for the Fed and they're going to have to hike more, more than certainly more than's priced in. Um, and so, going back to Stan's trade, he's long those two-year notes, which uh, will get completely destroyed. The rallying today, but the curve is still inverting. Um, will get destroyed if they hike more. And tens, which he's short, are rallying more. So it's a tough place uh, to be when. You have an environment where the economy is now, which oh, we got a low jobs print today. Well, why? Because interest rates rose 100 basis points in the quarter, and that had an effect on the economy and slowed the economy down. What happens now when interest rates fall 50 basis points? All that damage, or half that damage, that's not half, but half that damage goes away. And so, you know, you have to be more bullish on the economy. You have to be more bullish on earnings and you have to be very bearish on two year notes at this stage um, because the lever, the long term rate lever is now not tightening. It's easing. Listeners who may have missed our, our first interview, this script, the only way to kill inflation that you lined out in five acts is act one, hire for longer island. Hikes continue and don't achieve the goal. Uh, two. Act two is long end yields rise to new highs, which requires a supply catalyst. Act three is multiple compression. The higher yields take the legs out of the equity rally. Four is earnings contraction. The tightening of act two and three hit demand. And then finally, act five is recession island, equity sell-off, companies fire workers, presumably the unemployment rate goes higher. This is what I was hoping to ask you about because it looks like we were starting to move through that script, but now are, have, we taken a, have we taken a step back? Because Wait, yes- listen. You know, we were absolutely heading through that script and inflation was, you know, I saw the the lights at the end of the tunnel in terms of inflation finally ending as equities sold off 10 percent into the last QRA uh, through principally through multiple contraction, which you saw when the earnings for Q uh, earnings reports for most companies were spectacularly good and yet stocks fell on them. And the guidance was good. And so that's just pure multiple contraction. So we were absolutely in Act 3. And I read that. I saw that, you know, I have a little bot that scra scrapes the, um, the uh, QRA. And I got that. Boom, 830. Saw the 348 number and was like, back to Act 1. And so in Act 1, twos are terrible because we're higher for longer in terms of rate hikes, which are, again, not effective because it has to come from the long end. The tightening has to come from the long end to affect asset prices. And stocks do great. 
Um, now, the bond market rallied too, and that's on term premium contraction because of supply. And so, you know, we're back to act one. Hmm. That's too bad. That feels like we just kicked well, the kid. You know, it's, it's, it's okay for a lot of people. We're going to have a better Christmas. We're going to have a better January um, first quarter. Uh, the recession is deferred. Um, you know, those who thought we were heading into a recession in Q, um, Q4 are wrong. We're not heading into a recession in Q4. Because no one's going to fire anybody with their stocks at new highs and financing rates dropping by, you know, 50 to 75 basis points. So recession deferred. And we'll start seeing it in the data in two to three months. We're not going to see it immediately because we're still looking backward at where rates were at 5%. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for listening to On The Margin. I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a very special offer that we have coming out of BlockWorks Research. Now, many of you will probably be familiar with our platform, but BlockWorks Research is the most blue chip spot to get research, data, governance, models, and a whole lot more about the leading DeFi protocols in the space. I've leaned on our analysts time and time again to explain complicated concepts going on in DeFi to me like I'm five years old. They can do the same for you. If you invest in DeFi or are just interested in it, it is an absolute no-brainer. As a listener of On The Margin, and to say thank you all for listening to the show, you can use Margin 10 for a 10% discount, and that gives you access to everything, which would be weekly in-depth reports, live data, all of that good stuff. So again, that's code MARGIN10 for a 10% discount. Link is in the show notes. Sign up now. Thank you later. Is there a scenario which where I, I don't know I can't you know speak to Janet Yellen's um, motivations here um, maybe she predicted this or maybe this was her intention maybe it wasn't necessarily but I could see the look kicking of the can has been from at least my perspective and vantage point the policy the explicit policy of you know, the Federal Reserve and Treasury for quite a long period of time so I'm just sort of wondering what the forcing function is. I guess probably you might say inflation uh, returning in a very significant way, but it seems like what we could just go back to doing is okay. We're hiking rates at the short end. Initially, there's a there's a uh, some sort of knee jerk reaction to the market. It doesn't do much in terms of actually quelling inflation. But then the the ball moves back to Janet Yellen at Treasury, and she could decide to do something very similar to what she's done right now. And maybe the ultimately maybe the ultimate. Um, ending here because this is now I'm just editorializing because this has been my perspective for some time in terms of how we're going to work through our fiscal situation and debt is a situation where inflation's a little bit hotter, yields are a little bit higher, but they're still below where inflation is. And there's a slow sort of elongated bout of financial repression, but we never get that, you know, the big recession that we've all been waiting for or the, the Great Depression headlines that have been been around recently. What do you think about that scenario? I think the idea of a, you know, multi, multi-year battle with inflation because policymakers do st- stupid things like they did today or on Wednesday and don't even know the consequences of it. Like to me, you look at 348 for Q1 and say, yeah, the bond market did sell off pretty hard. Maybe we should ease back a little bit and then you know, then ramp up in a quarter or two to, you know, let still issue 350 billion coupons, not, not reduce coupons, but not increase as much. Eh, that sort of makes sense to me if I'm, you know, playing checkers. Seems to make sense. Why not? Why not ease back? Um, you know, I, I traded stocks and bonds for most of my career. And when somebody has a big order, and the market starts to go against them, you know, in the direction of their order, like they're a seller and the market starts selling off. They say, you know what, I'm going to 
put my order back on the shelf for a few hours or a few days or a few months. And it's a natural thing. Every portfolio manager that's ever, that is listening to this has thought about doing that and has almost certainly done that. And so it's not a terribly illogical thing for her to have done. Mm. The consequences are, you know, fairly impactful when you're talking about, you know, a hundred billion dollars of issuance. Um, and so we're seeing the impact in an in incredible financial easing. Um, and so, you know, I think they're going to react to that and say, geez, I didn't, ex- I didn't want that outcome. Um, and so I, I don't know what, what's next. So one, but one path is that this sort of rant, you know, these sort of well-intentioned. So, you know, there's the, well, let me step back for a second. So there's the, all the political thing, which is, right. you know, wants Biden to get reelected. We know that uh, anybody in that, sh- you know, Mnuchin wanted Trump to get reelected. And yet he left himself with a $1.3 trillion war chest of unspent checking account money in his TGA that he handed to Janet when, when Biden won. If he had had any game at all, he would have spent $300 billion in the Q3 and won the election. So, you know, these guys don't necessarily play much politics, but, you know, a ramp, I don't know when a ramp would help either. Like, if I were in her shoes, I'd want to ramp the market. Not today. I'd want to ramp it in the summer of 2024. Um, but maybe she felt, I, I don't know. So this whole political thing, I just assume she's going to do something. She is slightly biased in her actions to get Biden reelected. But from there, I don't really care much after I've said that, because I'll just watch what she actually does. And what she does made some fair amount of sense from sort of a just a basic logic standpoint. You know, you move yields 100 basis points. You say, maybe I've overdone it. You cut back or you don't increase as much. And then you'll give the market a time to breathe. Uh, the problem is that she's now put us in a position where the easing has been so severe that it's going to affect the real economy in a meaningful way and delay any recession. Now, if you are now talking about chess, well, maybe this thing operates with a lag enough so that this easing actually creates a delay of the recession through Q4, through the election. Now, that's that's chess. That's not necessarily 3D chess, but that's chess. And maybe she's thinking that out. But, you know, then she would have had to predict this market reaction and how long it would persist and how long it would then fuel the economy so that she doesn't have a negative NFP print while, um, you know, the first term is still ongoing and pushes it till 2024, uh, 2025. Um, I don't know. Honestly, don't know. So coming back to the point, which is ignoring the politics, people make reasonable decisions. And this decision, as I said, is a reasonable decision. Um, and it affects things. And now we have a Fed who has been signaling near done or done and cuts starting in the second half of 2024. Now they're in a position of, you know, now what the hell do they do? They're going to get weak data for the next two months. Why are they going to get weak data? Because it has responded to the 5% interest rates. Then they're going to have to be thoughtful enough to see that the, the lower interest rates are going to ease financial conditions to predict that things are going to improve in Q1. 
And if they then delay tightening, equities continue to rip. Uh, two years actually do okay. Um, maybe 30 years still stay here. Um, but at some point, if they delay tightening and these financial condition easings start flowing through to the economy, they're going to have to hike much more and much faster. Um, so, you know, we don't know what they're going to do. But I would say that I would be looking for the Fed to be um, to start complaining, not about what Janet did, but start at least walking back the rhetoric that long term interest rates are doing some of their work for them. And that's what I expect them to do. Yeah, because that's what Powell referred to, uh, Chair Powell referred to at this last presser, that financial conditions have tightened. And then there's been, uh, you know, two straight days of bids for uh, bonds at the long end of the curve. So, yeah, I completely agree. It seems like some of the some of the work that he'd been counting on there has been erased. Um, and, and they've literally said it again and again. Every speaker has said long term interest rates are higher. That's done some of the work for us. Now it hasn't. Now they're not. And so the work has been undone. Next, to take a you know a, a rough stab at um, obviously this is all going to depend on the decisions that Treasury makes in January, how the Fed deals with this uh, recent setback from their perspective in in the long end. But I mean, when do you when when do we see that Act Five sort of recession, and what's the most likely path? I know that it, there are lots of different paths that we could go, but what's the most likely path for getting there? I think it comes down to the same thing I've been saying in the script, and I think the script will start once we're in Act One again, and the script will start as soon as Janet ramps up bond issuance again, um, and I don't know when that'll be. So for now, we're in higher for longer, and. Um, the only way to get demand down is through firing workers, which no one's going to do as long as the economy stays warm, which it will, given the new easing that's occurred. And stock prices stay high, which again, hits the wealth effect, which again, is no longer a problem anymore. So um, you'll have to get the supply shock. You'll have to start getting 30-year bonds above 5% heading towards six. You're going to have to get equities breaking 4,000, maybe going to 3,800. And then you'll start to get the firing. Some of the, there'll be some credit incidents, individual idiosyncratic credit incidents along the way. And then you get the real recession and we'll see what that looks like. But it's a long, it's, put it this way, three days ago, I felt like I was the only person thinking that we'd, you know, the recession is still a long way off. I think Three days from now, most people will realize that the the recession is a long way off. All right, Andy. Well, that seems like as good of a place as any to to end it. I do just want to give credit. I mean, you've been very prescient um, and directionally correct on on many of these moves. So, um, guys, if you haven't listened yet, go back. Andy and I have spoken a couple times in the couple times in the last couple months. So, um, I'll link to those episodes in in on the margin here. And uh, Andy, for folks who want to uh, find out more about you, either follow you on Twitter, um, subscribe to the work that you do at Two Great Beards with Nick. What's the best way to do that? Sure. You know, I um, I'm at Damp Spring on Twitter, and DampSpring.com is for um, to see uh, my Damp Spring work, which is more about alpha than beta. Um, and you know, I have a subscription product available for people who want to be able to read my research and interact with me. Um, 
But really only consider that if you are um, very interested in learning my framework that I've just begun to describe here. Uh, and then we have two gray beards, which I partner with Nick. And in that product, we offer 20-minute videos once a week to give you what you need to have better conversations with your financial advisor and manage your long-only assets. And you can find us there at Two Gray Beards or twograybeards.com. Very good. If one of you actually ends up shaving the gray beards, do you have to change the name of the partnership or what's the deal there? How do the bylaws look? Nick's never, Nick hardly has a beard. So I don't really consider that fair. Um, and <laughs> that, I like my mangly, so we're going to keep it for a while. But yeah, we'd have to rebrand. All right. Fair enough. Um, that seems like the honest thing to do. Andy, really appreciate your time uh, as usual. Uh, we'll have to do it again soon. Pleasure, Mike. 